The great preacher in England in the 19th century, Charles Spurgeon, had this to say regarding us as co-heirs of Christ. Think of what you are, you Christians. You are God's children. You are joint heirs with Christ. The many mansions are for you. The palms and harps of the glorified are for you. You have a share in all that Christ has and is and shall be. In today's podcast, we're going to be looking at Galatians 4 and uncovering the powerful truths of what it means to be adopted children of God. So turn to Galatians chapter 4 and let's get into it. Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. Well, hello, my friends. I pray you guys are blessed and the Lord so excited to be with you guys as we now enter, as I said in the opening, a new chapter, Galatians chapter 4, where the title for this series, as we look at Verses 1 through 31 in the next few episodes is adopted into God's kingdom. This is podcast 174, and we're going to be looking specifically today in verses 1 through 7, where we're going to be uh, really going deep theologically and understanding what it means to be heirs of Christ. And Paul, in these first seven verses that we're going to be looking at today, breaks down three elements. One, what life was like before Christ, as he's conveying that to the Galatians in verses 1 through 3. And then in verses 4 and 5, he talks about why Christ came into the world and the blessings in verses 6 and 7 that come receiving Christ as Savior. Now, as always, if you've missed any previous podcast, you can always go wherever you get your podcast and you can get Stand Strong in the Word. And so I appreciate the faithful listeners out there. And I also want to let you guys know all the amazing, awesome, talented, beautiful people out there, as Donald Trump would say, beautiful people, all the amazing people out there that have been faithful, who pray for this ministry. Many of you guys recently, as we're coming to the end of the year, have given a personal donation to Stand Strong Ministries uh, to continue to help support this ministry that we produce every week to teach people the Bible all around the world. And I'm blessed to tell you guys, and it's so humbling and awesome that we have had, I think record, There's, it's in the hundreds of thousands of listeners, impressions and downloads, and it just keeps growing. And, and it's just amazing. And so thank you guys for taking the time to pray, to listen, to share, and also to give. Because this podcast that we produce through Stand Strong Ministries is lis- listener supported. So it's people just like you who are generous with their time and with their money to give to help support the work that we do uh, in this ministry to help people stand strong in the word, to help people stand strong in your faith. Because you and I know you are not able, you and I are not able to stand strong in our faith without knowing God's word. And, and so that's why we take the time. And that's why I put my notes up there. I study for hours every week, uh, whatever passage of scripture that we're going through on the podcast to prepare um, you know, really a Bible teaching, you know, uh, series to help people like you to grow in their faith as they grow in their understanding and appreciation and, and fall more in love with God's word. And I love that, to be honest. I mean, I, I love, love, absolutely love studying God's word. And there are times 
we're in the flesh, right? You don't want to heed what God has to say. You don't want to spend time in God's word or you're trying desperately to understand what God, God's word has to say and it's not making sense. We've all been there, haven't we? And so I encourage you guys to uh, you know, continue to stand strong in your study. And that's why it's always a privilege and a blessing with not just the freedoms that we have uh, to do this in the United States of America, uh, but the freedom that we have in Christ. And that is, again, the, 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 the pure, the pure uh, unadulterated message that Paul is conveying to the Galatians in this beautiful letter that he has written that we are studying right now. So go to standstrongministries.org, check out podcast, the notes that are there. If you have not uh, been getting them, you can access them directly on the website. And again, if you are there and you've never given, you've never even left a review, I encourage you guys, as you know, it helps the algorithm. It helps feed uh, the more reviews that we get and the more uh, that people out there like you are sharing um, these podcasts. One, and most importantly, you're putting information into the hands of people to help them understand the Bible, uh, draw close to God, whatever the case may be. And so we so appreciate that because with our limited scope sometimes in a ministry, you know, with a lack of manpower or funds, uh, you know, it's difficult to, to get the word out to a mass amount of people. But if we collectively do that, we can reach more people with the gospel. And so uh, think about how you can be more strategic as you listen and you grow in your understanding of, of the Bible, how you can take this podcast and help other people do the same. But also financially, if you've never, you know, given financially, uh, as we're coming to the end of the year and going into 2022, I encourage you guys listening to, to, you know, give whatever you feel God has called you to give to support the ministry. And, and I want to thank you guys in advance. And so if you guys want to give a sizable donation, we give free books in return, um, signed copies, a uh, personal note from myself to you guys, thanking you guys for that. And so if you want to, you know, send an email first and, you know, you can do that at info at standstrongministries.org and give us a heads up about it. Um, and then you can go give online. That way we can have it on our records that way we can send you guys some free signed books, thanking you for your support. So keep that in mind. So I just hope and pray that you guys, as we now enter in this particular passage in Galatians 4, that this will speak to you because one of the things, especially during this COVID time, where a lot of people, quite honestly, not only have time to think things through more than they maybe have in the past, but also when a lot of people around you are getting sick and some people are dying as a result. Um, I got it pretty bad, as you guys know, in the past. Uh, right now, as I'm recording this, there are several people that we know that are uh, um, having a difficult time. Matter of fact, one of the churches I was speaking at not too long ago, uh, I just got word that the pastor is hospitalized and it seems like he's doing fairly well but it's a bit you know touch and go and so there is some great concern uh, that his family and his church have and so as we're as we go through life and we are facing some of these these great challenges and there's some some uncertainty right we, we don't know why this is all happening the way that it's unfolding um and you and you're and you and I are trying to uh you know respectfully um and humbly and patiently 
seek God's will through all of this. And as we're all in these different stages of life and as we are struggling and many of us have been sick or currently sick right now, maybe you're sick with COVID right now, listening to this podcast and you are just been searching and, and you fell upon this Bible teaching podcast and you are looking for hope. You're looking to draw close to the Lord. This is God's way of ministering to where you're at currently. And that's through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and so we're grateful that you are seeking out God's direction. And, and as, as you do, and whatever you're going through right now, and you know this, friends, on this podcast, I say that a lot. Whatever you're going through right now, I, don't, I may not know. Some of you guys sent us emails for prayer. And again, keep them coming. But for the most part, with all of the countless thousands upon thousands of listeners, only God knows. But we want you to know that as we come together to study God's word, God speaks to us. And we're told in Romans 15, 4, that these things have been written in the scriptures to comfort you. So one of the roles, one of the ways in which, you know, we're comforted is by studying scripture together, not just separate, but together. Isn't that awesome? And so I want us, I do want us to take comfort in that, in that powerful truth. And so I relay that to you guys as a brother in Christ to say, hey, let's now jump into scripture and let's be comforted. And, and, and specifically, as I mentioned earlier, with the passage that we're going to be looking at, because we can get so inundated, again, with all the trials and all the things that are happening in this world or people being out of a job or you know, stimulus packages and government going further in debt here in America uh, you know, and people having to take a leave of absence because they've been sick or they have to take care of somebody in their family who's been sick. And so you know, maybe they're losing out in raises or, or they're not going to get the raise or they lost their job. Or you're not going to get the end of the year bonus. And it kind of consumes you. I know at times for me, to be honest, you know, uh, running a nonprofit, you know, we are dependent primarily on people's uh, faithful donations. And so when the economy struggles, just like my local church, and I talk to pastors, again, churches exist, you know, again, they're able to keep the lights on and maintain operations and hire staff and do the work of God locally and globally through the faithful contributors, the people who sit in the pews, the members of the church. And so when, when we are getting hit economically, it can affect, um, you know, the nonprofit world, the church world. And, and sometimes we can fret over it. We can worry over it. And we have to all, you guys, be reminded that we have to give this over to the Lord. And this passage, I will tell you guys, as I was preparing for it, it gave me a heavenly perspective. It brought peace. And I hope and pray that it does the same. So I'll be quiet now, just kind of rambling on that as we now transition into this first part of Galatians chapter four, verses one through seven. So as always, let me just read it out loud and let's jump into uh, it, uh, this passage verse by verse. So here notice, and again, as Paul's transitioning, where he left off in Galatians chapter three, he said this in closing. Remember, he was talking about the purpose of the law in verses 19 through 25. But in this last portion of scripture where we talked about the position of the Christian in verses 26 through 29, Paul says this, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And then he says here in verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. 
And then he says here in verse one of chapter four, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, now in the Greek word is nepios, it, 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 it um, implies an immature toddler who is helpless. Now this is important because if you go back to Galatians chapter three, and I feel like we got to pause here to just to give you guys proper context. When you go back to verse 26, what I just read in Galatians 3, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons. The Greek word is huos. It, it means a full grown child. So remember, you are no longer under a guardian. You have received all of your rights. Now, when he's now transitioning in this part, where we're talking about being adopted into God's kingdom. We're talking about being heirs of Christ. In verse one, he says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. So he was talking earlier about how we've been justified by faith, that we come from Isaac, the son of a free woman, right? From Sarah, not from Hagar, not from Ishmael. That was the analogy that Paul was giving in Galatians chapter three. And we know that he's been talking about this guardianship, being enslaved to it versus, you know, being free. Well, he's going to continue to talk about this because remember verses one through three, he's talking about be, you know, before you came to Christ. So that's why he says, I mean that the heir, as long as he's a child is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. And then in verse three, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles. Then verses four and five. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Verse six and seven. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. All right. So let's go back now in this first section before coming to Christ in verses one through three. Now in chapter four, as I was mentioning earlier, Paul's going to continue to contrast the old law with the covenant in Christ. So going back to Galatians chapter three, verse 10, all the way here to chapter four, verse 11, Paul is going to contrast the old law with the new covenant. Okay, so keep that in mind. And that's going to make sense when we look at guardians and managers, because he's returning back to this analogy that he was using back in Galatians chapter three, verse 24 about the guardian. And you remember that was all about a procedural matter of inheritance. You know, guardians, their responsibility was to look after the minors and they were also there to manage the affairs, the property, the belongings. They were overseers of the child's property. Okay until they came of age. Now, Paul's using that, again, going back to Galatians 3, because before coming to Christ, you were under a guardian. Now, this phrase here, until the date set by his father, remember in Judaism, when his son turned 12 years old, he became what's known as the son in the law. Okay, the son in the law. Now, what's interesting is in Greek culture, because Paul's writing to uh, many people who are blended between some Jewish influence and some Greek influence, okay? Predominantly, of course, the Galatians being Greek. Now, in Greek culture, manhood was achieved at 18. Isn't that interesting? Now, here in America, 
in the United States of America, 18 is an adult, considered an adult legally. Now, the Romans, on the other hand, they left the coming of age to the father. So it wasn't the law or the culture necessarily. It was the father in that home who was left to decide when the coming of age for his son was. And once the father determined that his son was a man, what the father would do was he would give adult clothes to his son. And through that transmission of authority, he would give him the responsibilities as heir of his father. So the father is now duly electing, if you will, his son into manhood and also giving him reign over a portion of his, you know, soon to be, you know, who knows obviously how long though, but at some point I should say more specifically, the, the heir as the heir, the belongings, the property. At some point he'd be the sole um, surviving heir of what he is now entering into a role of authority. He doesn't fully possess it, but one day he will. And so Paul, when he's giving this analogy, once again, going back to Galatians 3, that's why he says, but in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles. Now, this phrase elementary principles is hotly debated in commentaries. The Greek phrase is, if I'm saying this properly, stokeo. And stokeo literally just means basic foundations or rank of the world. Now, where's the debate? I'll get that in a minute. But it's a debate because in one sense, is it solely just dealing with the demonic side, the spiritual warfare? Or does it have some significance, some meaning related to the world aspect of just primarily referencing the bondage of Judaism? Well, let's unpack this. If you go back to verse 1, Paul was illustrating what? The bondage of the law. And he was referencing that, or I should say he was giving a descriptive nature to that by referencing it in connection to the slave, right? So he's using a cultural thing of significance and applying it to the law spiritually being a bondage, not just physically the burden of it, but also how it's impossible to be saved by the law because, again, it's not because you can't just keep the law. Because it's because the law doesn't save. And so Paul is illustrating this, the bondage to the law as to being a slave. And then in verse 3 here, Paul reveals the influence and the power, catch this, of the cosmic forces. So it's not just the law as a standalone thing. You know, for example, the 613 precepts that we have that the, the, the Jewish people in time would create more laws to protect them from breaking other laws. But in essence, when you break one, you break them all. It's like a domino effect. Well, guess what? Beyond that, in the tangible sense of a law being obeyed or being broken, what's, what's behind that? Not necessarily beneath that, but what's behind that? Well, revealed behind it, are cosmic forces that play a significant role in enslaving people. And that's the key, you guys, of I believe what he's talking here is you're not just enslaved 
to the law. But beyond the law itself in the world, you are enslaved to cosmic forces that play a significant role in getting people to believe lies, being deceived. And what they do as a result is they enslave people all the more. Because the more you believe a lie, the further away you are from the truth. And so these elementary principles of the world, this, this reference speaks to two specific areas. Yes, the legalistic bondage of Judaism. So again, as I've studied as a worldview guy in studying philosophy, apologetics, and theology, you study world religions. And as you look at customs and culture and the founders and different tenets of the faith or how they pronounce, you know, certain things and, and referencing certain things and speaking to existential matters or trying to give a defense as to where they're coming from, whether it be Hinduism, Taoism, whatever the case may be, Islam, you're studying it for what it is in the world, historically, theologically, philosophically. And there's the legal aspect. In this case, you know, as Paul is directing them towards, you know, the bondage of Judaism, identifying that, he's also corresponding that, linking that, if you will, to demonic control and the activity that it plays in lives of people. So when you think about, if you just looked at it in the sense of, for example, Muhammad advancing Islam just through his ideological positioning when it originated by uh, pushing back on polytheism. And he was a theist, uh, a monotheist. But we, when you go deeper into his theology, you realize he's a Molinist, you know, that God is one, that he's not, ref, you know, manifest in three persons. It's not just solely on Muhammad, that Muhammad did that with his disciples, if you will. There were demonic forces that were speaking to Muhammad and, and, and got him to believe these lies and then advanced these false doctrines all the more. And of course, as you know, historically going into the seventh and eighth century got more violent as a result of that, even after Muhammad passes away. And that's what Paul's talking about here, you guys, is he's not just talking about the legal, the legalistic bondage of Judaism. He's also referencing the demonic control and activity that's beyond, behind the elementary principles. So in this case, Judaism. So there is, there is demonic activity. So what they're faced with right now is they're turning away from Christ. These Judaizers that are teaching these, these false teachings about salvation that, oh, you need to be circumcised in addition to accepting Christ. There's demonic influence. In verse nine, you know, Paul will then again refer to elementary principles. And he does so in a sense that it's, it's, it's weak and worthless in comparison to the truth and power of God. And again, when you do think about the powers of Satan in, in comparison to, to God, it is weak and worthless. The Knowledge Bible Commentary says, quote, it seems better to understand the basic principles to refer to the elementary stages of religious experience, whether Jews under the law or Gentiles in bondage to heathen religions. And they're citing the weak and miserable principles in verse 9. And as Paul refers in Colossians 2 verse 20, the basic principles of this world. Thus, all were enslaved until Christ came to emancipate them, end quote. Now, I'd like to share with you three other passages of Scripture. One of them was the Bible knowledge just referenced in Colossians 2, verse 20. So let me just go ahead and read that in, in, in its entirety. 
It says, if with Christ you died to the elemental, not elementary, but elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? So again, same argument Paul's making there as he's making here in Galatians. Colossians, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. And you are dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So again, when Paul is saying here, you are enslaved to the elementary principles of the world, it's dealing, yes, in Greek with the basic foundations. And, but notice the key phrase also that's used in Greek is this rank and file. And I believe that's the advancement of these cosmic forces, i.e. demons, that are advancing because we also know you guys, by the way, in Scripture, particularly in 1 Timothy 4, there is the doctrine of demons. So there are specific demons that advance false doctrine that opposes, in this case, Christianity at the time which Paul's writing this. So we cannot underestimate that. We are not to downplay that. And that's why I gave you guys three other passages of Scripture because when you're talking about being dead in your trespasses and sins, when it talks about not being tossed to and fro, when it talks about these elemental spirits of the world uh, and not just submitting to regulations, but these regulations oftentimes are installed by demonic forces. And so Paul's making the Galatians aware of that. And I love the fact that Paul is sensitive to that and he rebukes it. So now he says, okay, let's explain, let's understand, if you will, why then Christ came into the world. And this is what I was saying earlier, this phrase in verse four that I'd read that captures a beautiful uh, summation of the Christological descent. Notice it says, and when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. Now, let me read you verse five because it continues in the Greek. It, it, it's not broken down into two verses, if you will, right? Because there's no verses in the Greek language. It says, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, in verses four and five, this is amazing. Paul lays out a confessional statement. Okay, so this is like a little creed and it, it contains the essence of the gospel message. So you can use this, you guys, as oftentimes people will see that early creed that Paul references in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses three through five. You know, like the summation of this is the gospel. And it was a creed that the early church had given because remember, they didn't have these scriptures that we have today contained in the Holy Bible. So here is the breakdown of this confessional statement. Number one, we see why this, in essence, is the gospel message because Paul talks about Christ coming into the flesh. We refer to that as the incarnation. Now, that was not terminology they used at this time, but in essence, this is what we clearly see that, that you know, the teaching of the incarnation. Two, Christ lived a perfect life, the, and that's known as the impeccability of Christ the sinlessness of Christ. And three, that Christ died for the sins of mankind and that deals with atonement. So again, here you have in verses four and five, the incarnation of Christ, the impeccability of Christ and the atonement of Christ. Now let me unpack for a moment, if I may, the phrase here, fullness of time. 
This was a Jewish phrase that captures God's sovereign hand over a period of time. So this is specific. This isn't just, you know, and this is not how the Jewish people wrote. And I was explaining this recently to my kids. They didn't do things in chronological order. It was by heritage, you know, by your forefathers, by region, and through the sovereignty, or if we refer to as the dispensations of God, you know, God's involvement into, cre into creation. And so that's what Paul's, you know, putting here by using the phrase fullness of time, because it is a Jewish phrase that captures God's sovereign hand over a period of time. So just as a Roman father determined when he, you know, he would make his son his official heir, God the Father, catch this, remember going back to what I said earlier, the Romans, it was up to the Roman father to determine when at that a point of time his son would become an adult and they would clothe him with adult clothes and it was symbolized him taking on authority uh, over what he will one day inherit. And so this phrase, the fullness of time, is God the Father determining when he would send his son to set us free from sin and death. So you oftentimes hear the question, and I've been asked this time, a time or two, why did God send Jesus the time in which he sent him in the first century? Well, this is what Paul's talking about here. And I'm not going to get into all the specifics I typically answer because then I'll spend another 30 minutes and sometimes I have a tendency to do that. I'll ramble on some things. But hey, that's sometimes it's unscripted, you know, uh, here on the podcast. So I'll digress from that. But what he's saying here is God determined the time to send his son. And when he says here that he sent forth his son, this is an affirmation of the preexistence of Christ, that Christ is fully God. So yes, the incarnation, impeccability, atonement of Christ. But this phrase, God sent forth his son, speaks to the preexistence that the second person in the Trinity existed fully in complete perfection, in absolute perfection, in eternity. I should say eternity uh, in his eternal being prior to him coming. And then, so that's his divinity. Now it speaks born of a woman. This is dealing with Christ's humanity. This is an exclusive reference to Jesus' mother that's harmonizing, again, the doctrine of the virgin birth as taught in the Gospels that we see in Matthew 1, verse 18, and the full humanity, the second nature that Christ took on, according to John verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 14, where it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So that's, again, see how powerful these two verses are, but we're not finished. Paul uses another unique phrase, born under the law. What he's saying here was God who, God who sent, so God the Father who sent his son, who existed, pre-existed, right? Before coming into the world. So kind of revealing the triunity, right? Then speaks that he comes into the world as a human being, takes on a second nature, who's born under the law. This speaks to Christ, who's a Jew. He was born under the law, and we, are, we know that Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17 that he came to fulfill it perfectly. And Paul had just said in Galatians 3, verse 13, that he paid its curse. He defeated the curse of the law 
by fulfilling it for you and me. The IVP New Testament commentary says, quote, to be under law also means to experience the curse of the law against all who fail to observe all that the law requires. That's according to Galatians 3 verse 10. The commentary continues, although Jesus did fulfill all the requirements of the law, he still experienced all the conditions of sinful humanity under the curse of the law. It does not mean, let me just pause and say this, that Christ became a sinner or had sinned. No. He still experienced all the conditions of sinful humanity. Not that he took on a sinful human nature, but he experienced all the conditions of sinful humanity under the curse of the law. Christ was subject to temptations, suffering, loneliness, and finally on the cross, God forsakenness and death. And that's why in Galatians 3 verse 13, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on the tree. That was, that was our get out of jail, not free card, because Christ paid for it with his life. And that's why in verse 5 when he says to redeem those, why did Christ come? To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now this is powerful again, you guys, in connection to verse 4 because the word redeem here has not been used in the early church. The Greek term, and the Greek I should say, is exagorse. And it means to purchase, to deliver, to buy back. So let me put it this way. Christ came to purchase, to deliver, to buy back those who were under the law so that they might receive adoption as sons. Now, in the New Testament, the term redemption, again, literally just means to buy out of slavery. When I looked at the Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament based on semantic domains, very technical, uh, it says this, to cause the release or freedom of someone by means which proves costly to the individual causing the release, to redeem, to set free. Did you catch that? In the, in the Greek-English lexicon, to cause the release or freedom of someone by a means which proves costly to the individual that's causing the release. So Christ pays for it with his own life. That's a costly, costly death. And the term here, so that we can receive adoption, means to place as an adult son. And so the Galatians, they would have understood this, you guys, when Paul was giving out this meaning, because adoption was widely practiced by Romans. So they would have understood when that appointed time, when the father says, okay, you're a man now, here's adult clothes, take ownership. Take responsibility. You're no longer under a guardian. You're no longer immature. You're no longer a child. They understood that. And they also understood the phrase adoption because it was widely practiced by Romans. Now in spiritual terms, it is by the redemption of Christ that we are adopted into his family and receive our eternal inheritance. And the amazing thing is, you guys, when we reflect on this passage, think about this. We are no longer underage children in bondage without, without privileges. You and I, through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, Titus 3, 5, 
accepting Christ as our Lord and Savior, confessing with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. We become members of the household of God, Ephesians 2.10. And as such, we are his adopted children. And we, as his adopted children, we enjoy the blessings that come as a child of God. I love the famous hymn, I Lay My Sins on Jesus. Listen to this beautiful hymn. It says, I lay my sins on Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God. He bears them all and frees us from the accursed load. I bring my guilt to Jesus to wash my crimson stains, white in his blood, most precious, till not a spot remains. That beautiful? That's what we have in Christ. And now as we look at verses six and seven, here's the blessings, you guys. Paul says here, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son. So, so catch this. This is the Trinity. I, I very rarely, when people give demonstration of the Trinitarian doctrine in scripture, do I see people refer to Galatians chapter four, verses four through seven. And yet, as I showed you, God the Father sends his son who, who pre-existed before taking on a nature of humanity on earth. Who atones for our sacrifice, who is the Messiah. Who was born uh, a virgin birth. And then we see here that God has also sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. So God is the originator of salvation. He not only sent his son to die and atone for our sins, but he also sent the third person, the Trinity, the Holy Spirit to indwell our lives. And that's why the Bible refers to us as the temple. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. And Paul's phrase here, he says, you are sons. He's describing Christians as sons of God. Go back to what I read to you earlier in Galatians 3, 26 through 28. And this is why you guys as adopted siblings and heirs of the covenantal promises of Abraham, that he talked about going back in Galatians 3, 28, all the way to chapter uh, four verse six here. We are equals. No one's better than the other. We are all equal in the eyes of the God. That doesn't now that does not mean that we all get equal pay, equal outcome, that that we all are going to be the same in heaven. No, we're all unique. We all have our unique imprint. But we're saying is in our nature and our existence we're equal. No one's greater, no one's superior, and no one's inferior in the kingdom of God. We have different gifts, and some of us have a different measure of faith. And some of us will live lives, like when you think of people like, you know, Billy Graham. When you think of people like Paul here as the apostle. I mean, I strive to be like those men, if you will. But my calling in life is not going to be to the the level that their calling was and so yes i expect that their rewards are going to be great in heaven now mine will be and yours will be as well because god loves us and god's using his children to advance his kingdom and he will reward us accordingly the bible says and so paul here is using uh, this term that reflects the the imagery of adoption uh, an inheritance that's practiced in Roman society. He's taking what they know in Roman society and he's using this imagery to speak to the adoption that we have in heaven. I love the, Lex, uh, the Lexham 
uh, Bible dictionary that says, quote, in Greco-Roman culture, adopted sons were guaranteed inheritance rights, which included not only land and other wealth, but also the family name, the family honor, and the share, catch this, of the family spirit. Isn't that awesome? That's in essence capturing not only the name, not only the honor, but also the family spirit. So the term son, guys, it carries much weight in terms of status and position. That's why this is so significant. And because we carry the name, we carry the honor, we carry the family spirit of God, we cry out to him, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Abba is an intimate title of endearment in Aramaic. And Jesus used this to refer to his heavenly father. It just literally just means daddy. So when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane, when he was struggling in prayer and great drops of blood because of the stress, the anxiety, the pressure, being abandoned by his disciples, knowing what death awaited him. He cried out to his heavenly father. He cried out to him as Abba. The New King James chronological study said this, children call their fathers Abba, a title of endearment, intimacy, and respect. Adults continue to practice, though apparently less frequently, again emphasizing the intimacy of the father-child relationship. Jesus' use of this title in prayer, Mark 14, 36, demonstrated his distinctive intimacy with the heavenly father an intimacy which provided the model for those who followed him by the Spirit, Romans 8.15, end quote. So I say this, you guys, as God's children, we too have been given this intimate access to God as our Abba. And we as his children, therefore, you guys, listen to me. We are to cry out to him as daddy. We are to call upon him for help, knowing that he will take care of us. And so if you struggle with that, you guys, it's not just a lack of faith, it's also a lack of intimacy. When you get to a place when you are calling out to him as daddy, that's a sign of not just respect, but that's also a sign that you know who you belong to and you have no problem calling out to him, just like my kids through the years, especially when they're younger. When they got hurt, when they needed something, they had no problem coming to their mom and me. They would reach out to us. Romans 8, 15 through 17. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Isn't that awesome? Romans 8, 16. So the spirit himself, you guys, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So when you say, I don't know if I'm a child of God, but you've accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. Remember that the Holy Spirit that dwells within you is confirmation. It's bearing witness that, hey, you belong to me. I put a down payment. I've guaranteed that you belong to me. And so the Bible continues to say here in Romans 8, 17, and if children, then you are heirs. So you don't just get in, you also receive an heir. You are an heir of God. And not only that, but you're also fellow heir with Christ. It just continues, you guys, as blessing upon blessing. But notice what he says here in the end. 
in verse, at the end of verse 17 of Romans 8, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And if I may, before I look at the final verse here, that really convicts me. And it does remind me of the status of where many Christians are today. They want it easy. And when things go bad, they recant or they deconvert or they deconstruct their faith and they blame God or they deny God's existence because if God was real, uh, he's, you know, I did all this stuff for him and then he let me down. But the Bible says that provided we suffer, notice, with him, not without him, not for him, but we're provide, provided we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified in him. We can't just receive the crown without having to go through the cross. And that's why Paul says here, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then you are an heir through God. This is amazing, you guys, because remember, Paul goes from the plural form sons in verse six, if you notice that, to singular form son in verse seven. Why does he do that? Because what he's doing is he's personalizing the relationship with God. And he, he did that by referencing the father as Abba. You don't refer to your father as Abba unless you have an intimate relationship, a respectful relationship. And so this phrase, you're an heir through God. As heirs, we receive the eternal blessing given by our heavenly father. Notice, through the salvific work of Christ. Peter would write in 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4, his divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires, end quote. So as I close, you guys, when you, when you look at this particular passage of scripture, we are heirs of Christ. We are heirs of Christ. You have inherited all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, the Bible says. God has not withheld anything from us. All we have to do is suffer with him. And so whatever you're going through right now, hold fast to these promises. Hold fast to the fact that Christ, he suffered and he died so that you and I can have a right standing relationship with the Father. And when the times get tough, you guys, or when you're, when you're praying, I want you guys to practice this. Refer to God as you're praying. Refer to Jesus as Abba, as your daddy. And the Holy Spirit then indwells you as, as the Holy Spirit convicts you and prompts you. I guarantee you guys that you will start developing a more intimate relationship with the Lord. And also lastly, I encourage you guys to, to memorize Romans 8, 15 through 17. Where it says, again, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him. End quote. That powerful, beautiful reminder for all of us. So I pray this has been a blessing to you guys as you continue to stand strong in your faith as you study God's word. Until next time. Keep standing strong, my friends. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening. 
and keep standing strong in the Word of God.